Welcome to Bridging Gaps, the business podcast sharing the challenges and stories of fellow business owners. Hello and welcome back to Bridging Gaps, the business podcast. This episode was recorded live at the Tuesday 1515 webinar in April 2020. It was a time when we were in the midst of the global coronavirus pandemic, and we still are as I'm releasing this podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by the lovely Sam Gold and lovely Rebecca Trudgett, and we're going to talk about how do you actually continue to grow your business, continue to trade in a time that is so full of uncertainties? How can you look to the future when you don't actually know what shape the future might be? So join me now in the conversation with Rebecca and Sam. So anyway, welcome to the webinar today. Um, And please join me. I'm in, sorry, please join me in welcoming Rebecca Trudgett from Switchfoot Accounting and Sam Gold from Gold HR. We, um, if you joined us for the previous webinar that we did, we were really talking at that point about how do you actually protect yourself and your business to to get through COVID-19? We were at a stage where the government had made various announcements, but we weren't necessarily clear on how they were going to work. So the job retention scheme had been, you know, was talked about, everybody knew about it, but the portal wasn't actually open. Uh, We knew about some of the the loans and some of the grants and things, but again, they hadn't necessarily started working their way into the reality of, of business life. So obviously we're quite a bit further down the road now, but we've still got a huge amount of uncertainty ahead of us. We've got no idea when we're going to come out of lockdown. We've got all, you know, have our, our hopes and dreams of when that might be. Um, I know a lot of people are considering selling their children currently. I suspect that some are considering selling um, or, or, or just, you know, doing something with their other half as well. So lots of things going on in our life just now. I can see Rebecca's kind of on both of those. <laughs> yeah, never work with your husband. It's not a good idea. Like a break, darling, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> so what we wanted to do today was to really just take any questions from you as well as share some of the experience from um, Sam and Rebecca in terms of questions that they're getting from their clients, as well as answering questions from you, trying to look both at the here and now. So if you're thinking about things, you know, if you've got questions around what you can or should be doing in terms of job retention schemes, furloughing, but also trying to look a little bit further ahead. So the first thing I'd like you to do is just over on the right-hand side of the screen, you can see a little chat window and you'll also see Um, a polls window. And what you can see on the right now is a poll saying on a scale of one to five, with five being amazing, how are you feeling about your business today? And it would be great if you could just let me, um, let, let us know how you're feeling about it right now. And we can see we've got one person. I can't answer it. No, I was just trying to. Well, why don't you just tell us how you're feeling about yours, Rebecca? Everything's always amazing. I'm always over-optimistic about everything. <laughs> and Sam? Not sure. 
Yeah, I'm probably probably middle camp actually at the moment. I think it's okay. been been really 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 busy. Um, but it's interesting times. It's very interesting times, isn't it? Just the whole world Gone changing. <laughs> and personally, I don't know. I don't think that we'll go back to the normal that we used to know. I think there's going to be a whole whole new world ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I and I can see that the majority of people at the moment are kind of with Sam at this point. That they're on the the middle of the road, um, and Rebecca's out there by herself on the amazing it, side. It, it's the normal way of things. <laughs> <laughs> a good way to be. I have to be that way, otherwise, you know, you know, I'm there to cheer up my clients. That's my job. <laughs> I could have sworn you were an accountant. Yeah, no, no. Most of the time, I'm like, I'm like numbers, accountant, that's not delivering bad news. But you know, the other rest of the time. So, so that's great. It's really good just to get a sense of the mood in the room at the moment. And what I'd like to do next is to ask you another question, and I'd really like to get a feel for how far ahead are you thinking at this point in time. So for anybody who's just joined us, there are a couple of polls over on the right-hand side of the screen. Um, and just have a look. So are you thinking, you know, are you really taking this day by day or even minute by minute? Um, or are you, you able to look forward to the next, you know, the next week um, or maybe even as far as a month? And, and how many of you are actually thinking, you know, actually a quarter ahead, one to three months or, or going beyond that? Um, what are you finding, Rebecca? What are your, most of your clients doing? Is it a mishmash of all of those or do we've got? I think because we've been waiting for the furlough for a while to actually get paid, I think that was kind of the deadline. It was kind of get that done, get the money in the bank, and then we start thinking about the future. I think some people are pivoting and they are doing things and they're shoving things online. And for a lot of people, that's working really well. But I think it was that get that furlough money in because some people haven't been paid in March and, and April was looking a bit dodgy. So it was mm -hmm. like, that was the point. So so it has been day to day. But I think now the money's coming through in the last couple of days. All the furlough money does seem to be coming through quite quickly, which is a surprise, I have to say. Um, and now I think it's looking forward and I think that will free people up a bit to look forward. And, and and is that furlough money, is it being paid, will it be paid monthly to people or are they getting lump sums? It's lump sums. So most people, I think, have put one claim in for March and April. You could have done it as two claims if you wanted to. So okay. they've gone up to the end of April um, and then they'll make another claim again in May and then June. And then who knows whether it will continue after that. And what about you, Sam? What are you finding with your clients? Are they, you know, again, shorter term thinking, longer term, somewhere in the middle? There's probably a bit of both. There's, there's certainly some short term thinking. There's some of them that are thinking actually in a couple of weeks time, we'll get to know a little bit more about where we all stand um, from a lockdown perspective. So some are starting to think about restrictions lifting and certain businesses coming back into play. Um, others are a bit more longer term. They're looking at it on the basis the end of June is when um, the job retention scheme comes to an end. Um, so at that particular point, whatever happens between sort of now and then, they've got to start making plans about what does it mean for their business. So I'd still, it's still fairly short term thinking, I would say, at this particular point. People just don't know. We don't know the impact of all the actions that are being taken by the government. And it's incredibly difficult to predict that. Um, I mean, we've already seen this week, haven't we, the things like B&Q, Homebase, certain things are starting to come back online. I noticed next today I've put an email out saying they're starting to sell online again. So things are starting to move a little. And I think for some clients, those types of things start to have an effect on what it means for them. 
So it helps them to see that things are moving as opposed to just being stagnant and, and kind of in a holding pattern. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of hope. A lot of them out there, as Rebecca said, unfortunately um, needed to wait for the money to come through to be able to to, to, you know, to do the things they needed to do and pay staff. Um, and it's been a bit, none of us know, you are just left there sort of not really knowing. Um, but the other interesting bit that you did mention as well is pivoting. You know, a lot of them out there are looking at what can we do? How can we do it differently? Is what we offer, can we do it online? And going forward, and no doubt we'll, we'll come onto this in a bit more, but the world's going to be a different place and the way we all offer our, our products and services will need to evolve. And for many, it's starting to think about, well, how do I do what I've done traditionally face-to-face or as a product? How can how can I do that online? How can I expand my reach? So that's been that's been interesting as well. And do you think that they're also thinking, you know, so it's one thing to take your existing product and to say, okay, now I need to deliver that online mm-hmm. and, and the questions around how do I do that? But are they also thinking, well, do I need um, not necessarily less people, you know, from an, from an HR perspective, but maybe different people? Do, do they need, you know, are they thinking about what their actual company or business looks like in, in how they manage to deliver whatever whatever new thing or new direction they've taken? Absolutely. I mean, I think with, with the extension of the job retention scheme to the end of June now, um, it's given businesses a little bit of a, um, a little bit of breathing space in order for them to start to think about what the future looks like. And it might well be, um, and I don't doubt for many, uh, a subs- you know, an outcome of where we find ourselves, there will be a, a reduction in the requirement for the number of people that businesses need. So redundancies will potentially come into play. Um, but it is an ideal opportunity for businesses to be looking at their structure um, even if they go back to how they were, they've had a period of time where no income's been coming in or it's been limited income. It's an ideal opportunity to look at how you've been doing things and actually do you need to do it like that moving forward. Businesses will be looking, and, and Rebecca will find this from her clients, um, to save money. They need to look at ways to be more efficient and effective with the resources they've got. Um, and picking up on your point there is ultimately, if I'm going to do things differently, do I have the resource on the human side that I actually need do they have the skill sets that I need so now is a fantastic planning time Um, so I know we're all sat there a little bit concerned about what it means for us and what it means for our clients and our businesses but actually now is a really good time to be looking at what your business model looks like how you've got that resourced are the right people in the right place at the right time Thank you, Sam. And and Rebecca, if we're looking now, now bear in mind, my knowledge of redundancy is that I've been in companies where people are being made redundant, the morale dips immensely, mm-hmm. um, and everybody's, apart from a few odd people who are extremely happy because they're finally getting paid to leave the job they hate, everybody else is really down. So, so that, that is my entire view on redundancy but is redundancy for a company in the short term if they're making staff redundant if they decide that at the end of furlough that's actually they, they can't continue with that staff is it actually a, an expense in the shorter term even though it saves you money in the longer term do you know what I mean if I have to make a redundancy payment I mean yeah it will be it will be the, the statutory payment and there will also be the cost of people like Sam or lawyers, and, and that's not a cheap process. But also it's the amount of emotional time it takes up in a business because you will use an inordinate amount of time going through consultation and all that. And, and, and I, don't, I think it leaves a sour taste in people's mouths generally. I don't know if we're going down that route at the moment. I think going back to your point about productivity, 
it's all right. We, I mean, traditionally, this country's had a real problem with productivity because it's been too easy to employ people. We've just employed. Let's get someone from Europe. Let's get someone. And we've, we've employed. But what we haven't done is, is look at the skill set of what we've got, make more of that and then use technology better. So actually, it's all right taking your product and you putting it online. But if it's the same product, but it's just online, that's not right. It has to be a different product and it has to be tweaked and modified. And, yeah, you will have to have different skill sets behind there. Well, I suppose I'm a little disappointed with the government's response, and I know it's a timing thing and I'm, I'm expecting far too much, is what they had the opportunity to do or will do is to have um, digital skills funding and actually use this time to say, well, what you're doing this job, or we need the economy needs to do that job. We will give you the skills to do that and then fill that gap and allow people in this downtime to, to upskill. I don't know how they can do it this quick and I'm being unreasonable. But, but it would have been an opportunity to fill that gap when there's a big problem where people aren't as good with technology as they need to be. And, and also, I think we've also been, and I can see this in the financial advice side of the business, we've gone, oh, that person's 80, they can't use Zoom. Guess what? They're using Zoom now. And they didn't flinch. They didn't whinge. They were perfectly happy. This is something which drives me absolutely mad is, is the people, uh, and it's people of all ages that, that do this, that they go, oh, no, you know, and whatever their level, whatever their perception is, it's like, oh, no, they're over 50, they're over 60, they're over 80. Um, they can't do this. And, and it's like anything. There are people of all ages who are technophobic, don't want to use it. I know I'm speaking to one technophobe here, Sam. <laughs> Your job, no. <laughs> um, but but equally, there are people at all ages who will embrace it and and use it. Um, you know, my mother is one of those who who doesn't quite understand that the reason I keep pressing her to to maybe think about getting a laptop that has a camera is not so much that she can see me, but then I can actually see her. <laughs> so it's all as you say. You know, you can't assume that somebody of a particular age won't be open to trying it online and in this situation which we've never been in before people are open to all sorts of things aren't they um it's an amazing time in in many ways as well as a frightening time so so just um a point for everybody who's on if you've got any questions then just pop them over into the chat um i'm really conscious that if you are wanting to ask about you, you know the future and you're thinking about your staff you're thinking about money those sorts of things that you might not want it to be visible um so the chat today is private so only the three of us will see it and we'll ask the questions uh without naming you unless you say please say my name in which case we're more than happy to do that as well <laughs> um, but go ahead and drop some questions in and I'm just going to start off with um, and I think I'm going to start this one off with with you Rebecca if that's okay is if you're looking at your business now it's a rainy day as you said there's time for planning um, but what are the three actions that you think we should take in your business you know today now three actions I think you need to assess where you are now. So get your zero up to date. Look at your personal finances. Just <laughs> chuck it down on a bit of paper. It doesn't have to be in a fancy graphs and all that kind of stuff. Just chuck it down. Where are you now? How much money have you got? What have you got for the future? 
and what have you got for now? And then go, well, what do I need and what don't I need? And then I think the next thing is, what are my goals? What, what do I want to achieve? Because people have set up businesses for all different reasons. Some people want the million pound accountancy practice, me. Some people want the consultancy business, Deborah. So, and those are quite different drivers because actually what I do in my business is going to be quite different in terms of systemizing than it is for Deborah. So what do I want? And let's be honest about it. That could be, I only want to work three days a week and I'm actually working seven at the moment. So something's not quite right. So work out what, so where you are, what you want, and then how do I get there? What do I need to do to get there? And how do you overcome the, you know, I, I was speaking to somebody a few weeks ago, actually, who had been trying to set um, a goal. So so this is something um, actually Liana mentioned or, or maybe Pam in one of the inspiration space sessions about, you know, set your goal up where you really want to be. So as you said, Rebecca, you know, I want a million pound practice. Um, and they were trying to set their goals to say, well, what would I need to do to achieve that? And couldn't. Basically, it was like, no, that's just not realistic. I, I can't say that I'm going to to earn this much or have this much, you know, business coming in. Any suggestions on, on how you overcome those the essentially mental obstacles to to looking forward, especially now when the mental obstacle is, I have no clue what's happening. I don't know what the future holds. But then you have to you have to get into the mindset. I can only control what I can control. So what can I control, and what can I achieve with? in that realm of what I can control. And in terms of goals, just think of it like, when you go up the stairs, you don't leap to the first floor, do you? You go up one step at a time. So break it down. And it could be, I'm gonna clear my inbox this morning. That's one step. And then what's the next one? Clear my inbox. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You haven't seen my inbox, it has to be clear. I was going to say, I think you're alone on this one, Rebecca. <laughs> I'm an accountant. It's weird. But, <laughs> but, but break it down. It has. It can be really small things. It's like if you run the marathon, you don't start by running 10 miles. You, you run probably to the post box and back to start with, don't you? And then you build it up. And it's the same with the million pound practice. And it is not going to happen overnight. And, and all those things on Facebook, you see everyone, oh, I've just made 100 grand in a week. It's like, no, you didn't. That took you 10 years to get to that point. So yeah. I think you need to be realistic about how long you can get there and just look to yourself, not look to the rest of the world. Yeah, and that's really great advice, Rebecca. Uh, Sam, anything that, that you'd like to add to that? Or has Rebecca just covered it all for you? <laughs> the, the approach, and I've, I've been through this with Rebecca and um, Zeb recently, actually, um, it, it is really important. It is about understanding where you want to be and, and how and break it down and how you're going to get there. And actually, that's no different from, from an HR point of view either. Um, so if you're looking at your finances that Rebecca's just talked about, maybe from a personal and a business perspective, and, and as small business owners, you should be. They come together um, because what drives one drives the other. Uh, and certainly from an HR perspective, you need to be taking into account if you want that million pound business, it's unlikely you're going to be able to get there on your own. So actually, as part of those steps and those goals, what are your triggers? What are your what's your momentum through there to get you there? And what are your stages in order to do that? So we come back to things like succession planning. You start looking ahead. And that's actually really exciting in times like now because it is uncertain times and we don't know where we're going to be. Um, some businesses won't make it through this. Some will come out stronger. And actually, as long as you're starting to think about it and you're starting to think about how you evolve, what does that look like? Succession planning is a really big part of it. 
and being clear and breaking down the steps that you need to what do you need to get there so it's like goal setting in any way shape or form you break it down don't do as rebecca said all the way to the top of the stairs break those tiny steps down in between because you're more likely to be able to achieve that but the other thing is get someone to help you yeah yeah absolutely because you if you go to the gym and you buy a gym pass you won't go but you get a personal trainer and the job of a personal trainer is to make sure you turn up that job is not to train you, really. It really is so you turn up because you're too embarrassed not to. And you spend so and much time on HR and whatever else. Get your coach. Absolutely. And that's a really good bit of advice, actually. And I think we can all probably all sit here and say, but for those of us, when you've bought into having somebody and working with a coach, they are the ones that you don't know what you don't know. And actually, somebody to help you work out what you don't know and point you in the direction of what you do need to start learning and start doing is really important. Because as business owners, we generally like to think we start our business because we quite like what we do or we're quite good at what we do. We're not often in a position. We can't do We're not all things to all people. So and, and coming back to the point about get people to help you. Um, I've never liked decorating. Why would, I, why would I want to do that? I'd much rather pay somebody that's that's what the job is they do and they're good at. Um, I think often as small business owners, money is an issue that we don't want to spend money willy nilly. Of course we don't. But sometimes it's, it's worth looking at those things where spending money for a professional to do something cuts the amount of time it takes you. It's done properly, freeing you up to genuinely spend time on planning and running your own business. Do what you're good at. Do what you're good at. Invest the time in that. Well, and it's like, you know, if I look back to when I started working with people around podcasts, I you know, started my podcast by myself and the driver for setting up the business was the realization of how much time and energy I had spent doing that. Um, so at the time, it was fine for me because I, I had no intention of it becoming my business. And um, so, you know, I wasn't I was enjoying it. But, you know, looking now, you think, well, actually, that could have been streamlined to such an extent, you know, by getting somebody to support me in doing that. So mm -hmm. I agree, you know, completely. And, and, you know, in terms of coach, that term is used so widely now. And I think that, you know, either of you also count as coaches or advisors where you, you're the experts in what you do. Um, and it's finding the, the support that you need um, as a business and as an individual to help you to get your business and your personal life to where you want it to be mm -hmm. um, and not trying to do it all, all on your own. Um, so I'm going to let's just move on to another question. So this is something that I'm really conscious of. So so for me, it, you know, I work from home and, and I've worked from home for ages and, and I'm used to it. But for a lot of people, they are now working from home. They're not used to it. The kids are there, hence the desire to, to sell them on. Um, they don't necessarily have an office set up or a setup that they're actually, you know, comfortable working in and equally for their managers they're trying to figure out how do they now actually manage their their staff how do they know that their staff are being productive and doing what they they're, they're supposed to do because they can't see them they can't just have that casual chatter or help them through a problem so so sam what are your suggestions on you know strategies or ways to to work both from the employer and the employee perspective I think this is a really interesting one because I certainly know for a lot of my clients, um, home working or remote working has always been something that a lot of them had been um, less than keen to to go down the route of. And obviously finding ourselves where we are now, there's been no choice. 
Um, now, whether they would agree that that's been a successful transition, we'll find out as time goes on. But ultimately, um, I think whatever comes out of where we're at now, we're going to see people working remotely, working differently for a, a reasonable period of time. And it may well be in doing that that they do see the benefits to the business in the longer term, that type of working arrangement continues. Um, you're absolutely right. A lot of people like to, if I see you, I know what you're doing. Even though actually when I do see you, you might not be very good at it. But I see you at your desk, so I know what you're doing. I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing. But actually, these are all really simple things that both parties can can do to make remote or homeworking simple. Now, I think now is unprecedented times. Um, we've got people that have been um, forced very quickly out to, to work from home. They don't have the setup that ideally that they need in order to do that. They've got children are running around, as you said. Um, they probably haven't necessarily got the kit all sorted out. However, everybody is doing the best they can with what they've got right now. And one of the key bits to making remote working work is, is trust. So any anybody needs to know what's expected of them. So whether they're working in an office or they're working from home, I need to know what you expect me to do. And that is often as simple as having a job description. So what is it you employ me to do? If I know what it is you want me to do, whether I'm in the office or at home, I can I can do that. And trust then comes into play as in I know what I need to do. I've had a conversation with you. You've told me what you're expecting of me. I know you need to now trust me to go away to do that. And the easiest way to build that trust is to have regular communication. So one of the things from my point of view with my clients at the moment is about making sure whether people are furloughed or whether they're working at home, um, that in, in these types of circumstances, there is regular discussions. They're picking up the phone, they're jumping on Zoom, they're keeping the communication open. And it's not just about work, actually. Um, there's a bigger issue in all of this and, and in remote working in its own right is about people's mental health. I think that we, we've all been forced into a situation that we weren't expecting um, and we need to be aware that there's likely to be an impact for people in that. So actually just keeping in contact with somebody. How are you? How are you doing? What, what's going on for you? Um, so my husband's furloughed. Um, he's painting the hallway and he has a regular conversation with um, his his work and he shares what he's been doing. And, and, and it's really important that, that that dialogue take place. So it, it comes down to being clear on what's expected. You need to trust the people that position to do the job you're asking them to do. You need to offer the support that that person needs, whether that's technical, whether that's expertise, whether that's access to people they do need. And you need to keep in contact with people. You need them to understand that you are there. You may be at the end of a phone or end of a video camera, but you are there and that you're easy to get hold of. Um, none of those things are particularly difficult to do, but lots of us don't like that. Lots of us don't like jumping in front of a camera or picking up the phone because it can be difficult. It can be difficult to say, Do you know what, that wasn't, you know, maybe didn't come out. That piece of work maybe wasn't quite what we were looking to achieve. Um, but that much of that is about managers understanding how to have a conversation with somebody that maybe is a little bit tricky. How do you address something that's not quite right? And often it's not a difficult thing to do. But a bit of coaching around that, working with somebody to help you to be able to do that as a manager in particular is really important. For the employees, there's a couple of things I'll just get in here. Sorry, I'm um, um, from an employee's perspective of working from home, the, the same applies. They need to know what's expected of them. The other side, though, actually, um, and getting into more of the health and well-being side of things is that we'll have people out there working from their sofas, their kitchen tables, the floors, the bed. Um, so from a, you know, a health perspective, that's not great. They need to move. They need to get up and move. They need to try and set their workstations, what they've got up as best they can. Um, and they need to move. So every hour they should be getting up, moving, stretching, 
getting off the floor, getting out of the chair, uh, so actually keeping themselves moving as well. That's great, Sam. Are you finding that for some managers that actually it's a whole new skill set because if they've been – well, I don't mean distrustful, but, you know, they're used to having that person there. They're used to being able to manage them in person, to change – uh, on a whim, you know, by the way, I know I said I want you to do this, but now I want you to do this. Are, are they struggling with that? Are you finding that, you know, that's the hard part is changing your management style to cope with the remote workers? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's tricky because lots of managers don't really like managing anyway. They do it because they've generally probably been good at what they've done. They've inherited a team. They've now got people to look after. Um, so it pushes the boundaries more because I can't see you. But actually, if we turn, if you turn it around, trusting somebody that a relationship in any way, shape or form starts from trust. It has to start from trust. It's only if you don't deliver that the trust is broken. As long as they look at it on the way of actually if that person knows what's expected of them, I've I've asked you to do X and you deliver X. It should be easier. So for them, it's, it's shifting. You're right. It's shifting a culture of, tr- of you know, distrust into trust. So start with what do I expect of you? Are you delivering that? If you're not delivering it, why not? And what can I do to help you? And actually, the the bit they have to be careful of is not micromanaging people because you get to that point where in the office, I don't need to micromanage you. I can sort of see you, whereas at home, I can't see you. So be clear. Be clear what your expectations are. See what that person is doing. Regular communication. So absolutely, it is a different skill set for a lot of people. And Many people don't want to talk to people. They don't necessarily want to do that. So they have to push themselves out of their comfort zone to engage with people and engage with people in a different way. And we've all probably jumped on Zoom calls recently where you've got, you know, um, uh, whoever you're talking to, a child pops up in the background or something's going on over here. And it's and it's life. And the other thing is, is that in the past, we probably all tried to be professional and make it all look rosy. Do you know what? It's life at the moment. And you have to go with there's a bit of chaos as well. So it's not necessarily going to be perfect. A colleague of mine, um, I wasn't actually on this call, but he was telling me how he was on a call and his daughter, who was four, decided that actually she needed some time with him. And he spent the first part of the call with her sitting on his lap, pushing his face around. (laughs) (laughs) You said everybody else was just laughing. But as you say, it's, it's life. You know, it's it's no longer I can, you know, separate this from from my business. It's just, you know, they're all melding together. Oh, and what about you, Rebecca? Are you finding any differences, you know, with your clients that, that, you know, the way that you interact with them or that they interact with you because of it being remote? Or were you always working in, you know, sort of a mixture of remote and, and face-to-face anyway? We, uh, we've mostly been remote for a while. I mean, you occasionally would do the face-to-face, but that kind of was pushing out. Um, but in terms of my past, I mean, I was an audit manager for years, so I would sit in the office and I'd have teams all over the shop. So I was actually used to, to the remote team scenario. And also it was all digital, it's paperless. So actually the audit teams were much further ahead than the accounts teams were. And, and yeah, you, you, you learn to be quite clear about what you're expecting from people and when you're expecting it. And, and you don't want to be on the phone every day bugging them. It's just like, how are you getting on? You'll, you'll talk to me if you need. 
you you learn the personalities that want to be handheld all the time or the ones that need to kick up the arse because some of them will occasionally um but yeah yeah but then I really like managing people so that's probably what I've struggled with now is because I don't have the team at the moment um but I know most managers in the UK have not been trained and they're not very good at it, if I'm honest. And so therefore, trying to manage remote teams, if you can't manage a team that's around you, you're not going to stand a hope remotely. But also, I think we're going to have some very interesting conversations when people go back is, well, why can't I work remotely? Well, because you don't have a separate room. You, you're on the dining room table. That's not a productive place for you to be. And if you're managing a team, can you do that productively? away from them yes but you need the systems and you need the processes and you need probably more of a task orientated kind of business model than you do in an hourly rate type model you know and so and also do you send emails in the middle of the night you allowing your teams to work at midnight as opposed to nine to five so there's lots of conversations that businesses need to be having that they probably haven't had and they probably even we don't want that it's too painful and you're going to get up, people upset about it, and 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 that's natural. But um, yeah, but also I was on a call with um, Gary Turner from Zero, and he was saying, "Yeah, all our teams know how to work remotely. They do it all the time, but they don't do it a hundred percent of the time." So they've gone. We have the ability to do it, but now we're having to actually do it. And actually, it took them a couple of weeks to kind of get everyone settled in and bedded down. It wasn't just a simple. We, so you take that firm that's very well ahead and advanced and you go and look at some of maybe some of the professional practices around here that are still having to go back into the office and get files or they still print out emails, etc. So you can see that, that there's some businesses on ground or halt because they literally are not on the same field as the rest mm-hmm. of them. And, and that makes it an even bigger um you know, change is bad enough dealing with the um, uncertainty and, you know, the lockdown and the pandemic and all of those things, let alone having to go through a huge learning curve to say, well, actually, how do I do this remotely when I don't have that piece of paper, you know, to hand or I don't have that person I can turn around to and say, oh, by the way, can you, you know, set this up or do this for me? And um, so much much more challenging in that also, we're seeing I and this is anecdotally and I, I could be wrong but I don't think I am I think we're seeing a lot of trainees being furloughed because no one knows how to train remotely so they're just cutting them off so, so that actually brings me on to, to I can see I've got two questions here so one is actually about um what if you you've got somebody they're working from home and they're not able to do the full day because the family you know that child is getting in the way in the nicest possible way of course you haven't been able to sell the child (laughs) still there yeah they're still there um so that they're actually not doing as much work as they normally would do because of the inability to to separate things currently how do you how do you manage that situation is that you know, something you can take on, Sam. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a few ways you can you can approach this, and a lot of it will depend on the business. But ultimately, that you can just accept that's what they can do. They're doing the best they can with what they've got, and you continue to pay them. They're not furloughed. They're doing what they can, and you continue to pay them as they are on the basis that at some point in the future you'll get that you'll get that sort of goodwill back. I think we all have to accept right now for those people working at home, they're doing the best they can with what they've got. Now, some businesses, though, may not be able to afford to do that. They may not be in a position to be able to afford to pay, continue to pay a full time salary while somebody is not delivering 
what they would have expected to. Um, and that won't be the, the, you know, the fault of the business. It's what it is in the situation we find ourselves in. So in that circumstance, what they, they've got two options. They could either talk to the individual about reducing the number of hours that they're working. So they pay them for the time they've got. That may actually work quite well if that person doesn't want to feel beholden to the employer that actually I'm doing three or four hours a day. I, I manage my family commitments around it. I'm doing what I can. Um, the other option and, and what has happened for a couple of clients is that because obviously schools are out and they do have that family commitment, um, people are having, you know, are taking unpaid leave. There's work within the business. So furlough isn't an option. There's work there. Um, and actually they are taking the choice of um, doing unpaid leave so that actually they can do what they need to do from a family perspective. Um, um, but unfortunately, it means that the, the employer obviously loses that person for a period of time. So a lot of it will depend on the situation, the business and what they, to a certain extent, are able to afford to do. And um, in some circumstances, the, for some employers that maybe have furloughed, um, recent guidance that did come out did say that you could, not that you had to, but that you could furlough somebody due to childcare responsibilities if it was an issue. Um, what I would say around that and the line that we've taken with some of my clients has been we've only gone down that route if we are furloughing. If we're not furloughing because there's work there, we've we've generally taken the other options. Okay. Thank you. And what about where you've got work coming in, but finances are a problem I'm not sure which of you this is best for um are you better off so, so if I say okay I've got some work coming in but I don't know if that work is actually going to be enough to to cover my, my expenditure okay. am I better off to to actually turn that work down and and furlough people so that I know I'm getting some support through the government to to cover those wages or am I better off, um, you know, trying to take the work and hoping it all works out? And, and not just from, a, I guess, am I better off, but are there any legal angles? And I, and I appreciate the legalities around all of this are incredibly difficult because there's no case law. There's nothing telling us what we really can do. But from your perspectives, um, what are your I, thoughts? I think... I think the only way you're going to know the right answer at the moment is with hindsight. So bear that in mind. I I think making a decision is better than no decision. My instinct, again, coming back to I'm always a little bit over optimistic, is you're probably going to come out of this better by working and trading out. So try it. Try it for a month. See if you can get enough work. So I would trade out. I don't think I'd be turning work down, if I'm honest. But you might. it might be that you split your staff into some you furlough, some you don't, and then you phase them back in what's slightly annoying is there's a lack of flexibility around the furlough um obviously if you're self-employed it's a different issue anyway because you can work and do it so it's it's a less tricky option i think it's where it's a director doing something or doing nothing is the real big one um i think it's quite difficult to furlough a director if i'm honest so i would probably advise trading out but you're going to have to assess it week by week so when you say trading out, well, take the work, mark the backside off of it, and f take what work you can get. And if that's stacking shelves in Tesco's, just take it, because the, the more money you've got coming in, the more options you've got, in my opinion. But but other people might need a break, so it's, you know, horses. Yeah. 
I think it's an interesting point, though, what Rebecca said there with regard to if it's a sole director, um, you've got to make the call that if you're the only one and you furlough yourself, your ability to you're not able to work. So that fundamentally means there's nothing coming into the business. And probably for most directors, they're taking a small salary and dividend. And actually, all you're going to get is 80 percent of very little. Um, and actually, maybe picking up on that, Rebecca, about the recent annual payroll stuff that's come out for those that are running annual payrolls, they're not able to take advantage of furlough anyway. Is that is that correct? Well, I think it depends. I've got one that was run in February. So we're challenging it. Okay. Um, yeah, it causes a problem because basically you run a pay, an annual payroll to keep the cost down because running payroll is a fairly expensive thing to do or it's mm. a bit of a pain in the backside if you do it yourself. Um, so people run it once a year, usually in March. I've got one we did in February. Not entirely sure why, but fate fell yep. that we did it. So that was run in February. So I think we can claim on that one, but that's gone to HMRC under appeal. So we're still exactly. on that. As far as I'm aware, anyone that's run it in March and it was after yeah. 19th of March, they can't get it at the moment. But again, everything's moving. So who knows? And there is that. And, and your other point about um, businesses that are more than just one, there is an element that if you've got other people that you know work can be done by, what clients are doing is they're moving work around. So it might be that actually they haven't got as much work coming in. Obviously, the job retention scheme is around there for businesses to take advantage if they've been severely affected by COVID-19. Um, if there's less work coming in, but there's work there, it may be that they're having to look at the way that they juggle that. I'd agree with Rebecca, as much as you can, you trade it out um, if you can afford to. But it may be that you furlough a couple of staff and you keep a couple of staff working if you're in the position where you've got you've got employees. And can you alternate the staff? So can you have, I think it's three weeks, it's the minimum you can furlough for. So can I do three weeks, one person, then three weeks, the next person? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they brought that in on the basis that for some, it would be to be fair. And for others, it may just work better. But yeah, absolutely. As min- long as it's a minimum of three weeks on each on each period, they can absolutely do that. But also, because we're claiming in arrears effectively at the moment, and I think that's the way it's going to stay, yeah. you've also got a little bit of wiggle room, like, I will furlough you, but if it turns out something two and a half weeks in comes up, then okay, we, you have to take a view then. Yeah. Right. I'm not suggesting fraud, but I'm, you yeah. know, you can then go, oh, actually, that's such a good job actually will take you off furlough now and then not claim that three-week bit. Absolutely. Okay, so you would then cover their, their salary for that period without having claimed the furlough yeah. um, because you you know that you've now got the income coming in. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I've got another question that's just come in, which is around um, why some businesses are actually making people redundant rather than furloughing. Okay. Um, Furlough is an option, as is redundancy. Now, obviously, the the furlough, the the job retention scheme was brought in to protect jobs. So the idea behind it is that you have to at least consider furloughing somebody before you make them redundant. Um, As we know, there is no case law in relation to this at the moment. There is no, we haven't gone before, so we don't know. Um, But some businesses will be looking at it on the basis that actually, even when I come out of lockdown and we start to come out of some of the restrictions, I'm not going to have enough businesses, uh, sorry, enough business coming through. So actually, I can wait to the end of the furlough period or I can make the decision now. So some will already be well aware of what's in their pipeline and know that they don't have enough work to warrant taking those people back into Uh, into the business what we are finding is is that businesses are starting to consult and start their redundancy consultation while they're in furlough 
Um, but one piece of advice is if if you are going to consider making people redundant, you do need to consider and you need to keep a record that you've considered all options, actually, in redundancies. And furlough is an option. So you need to look at whether there's any other vacancies. Would a you know reduction in salary maybe be be an option? Um, are there any um, contractors that could be remo- removed? So as you would in any normal redundancy circumstance, all of that still has to be considered here. And furlough is just another option. So why did you not go down the furlough route when it was there? And what some businesses are doing is they are starting consultation. They are starting notice. Um, And generally, what they'll probably do is keep people on the books until the end of the furlough period and then the redundancy will come into play. Um, But I think it's a it's a call for the business about whether they believe strongly enough that the work, there's such a diminished requirement for the work that they perform will not be there beyond the end of the furlough scheme, that actually they need to take action now. Because as we talked about earlier on, when you make somebody redundant, if they've got more than two years service, they're entitled to a statutory or could be contractual redundancy payment in addition to any notice and accrued holiday that they would have they would have accrued during that time. So there is a cost to the business to do this. And for some businesses, they may not be able to, to cover those costs as well. Mm. Thank you, Sam. So one of the things that I think we've all probably know and have known in the back of our heads for a long, long time, we should have a rainy day fund. Um, um, a nice little pot of money sitting there just waiting in case something unexpected like COVID-19 pops along. <laughs> um, but I would imagine that many, many, many of us do not have our rainy day fund, even though today, you really did want to because it's really rather dismal out there. Um, so, so if people are starting to, to, I guess, really appreciate the value, obviously we can't wind back the clock and sort it out for this situation. But is now the right time, you were talking about, you know, this is a great time for planning. Is now the right time to also be planning for how do I build up that rainy day fund um, for the future? Rebecca. Well, I, I mean, you guys know that I'm a, maybe I wouldn't call it a rainy day fund, but I am quite strict about you guys need to put your VAT in a separate bank account. You need to put your corporation tax back. You've got no sympathy from me if you haven't saved your corporation tax. None whatsoever. Because also I think we're seeing now that businesses that have done and followed the Rebecca's advice <laughs> have money so they can they can help themselves out of this pickle. The ones that haven't have no money whatsoever. They're potentially having to scrape together money. And you see the stress of people in January, just after Christmas, especially with their personal effects, because they haven't put the money back. So I think you have separate bank accounts. I would use probably something like Starling, where you have little pots and spaces. And I would put, you know, 20% corp tax, 20% for VAT. As every invoice I get in, I would strictly do that. Now, you might not be able to do that straight away, but, but something. Just get in the habit of scooping a bit of money across. Or, you know, you have a holiday fund and you say every time I sell something, I put 1% over into that pot and then that's your holiday fund. That's your treat or whatever it might be or, or the new car or whatever it is. But but you start now and, and then eventually it builds up. And what you want is probably about three months worth of expenditure in a bank account at any point. So if this happens again, and I think... It's quite likely that this is, a, a, it might not be called COVID, it might be something else. 
it was something will happen and you won't need to and it could be ill health as well so you need to think about mm-hmm. insurance product products as well to, you know making sure it covers but but you know man insurance or or critical illness type covers in place as well as but also you you look at my self-employed people there'll be no pension there because they seem to think it's some luxury retirement is a luxury for self-employed maybe maybe they're right but i'm just assuming i'm going to win the lottery i'm ignoring the fact that i don't buy lottery tickets because i'm sure it'll somehow come together (laughs) or the inheritance or 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 my house is my pension is the other myth or rubbish that i hear it's like it's not it's a house you live in it you're going to continue to live in it that's very true so and actually picking up on Rebecca's point there actually about the rainy day fund and about the three months, there's an element as well as doing that personally from a business point of view, you need some contingency from a business perspective to be able to, a lot of small businesses will ride this out through their own savings. They will be doing this from, you know, money that they have put away for a rainy day, whatever that might be, but will sustain their business throughout this. So it's also thinking actually how long can I sustain if I've got employees how long, how, how much do I need to put away? And maybe that's a good question, Rebecca. Um, from a business perspective, how much is, is still three months a good amount of money to be able to say, I know I can keep things going? I think it's going to depend on the business, but I think three months is a good one. I think if you're a seasonal business, it might be a very different story because you might have be having to survive six months. Yeah. Therefore, you're, it needs to be that much bigger. Because um, you can see that now in the seasonal businesses. So if you were, I don't know, events business, you've just struggled through somehow scrape through the winter expecting to then make all your sales in the next six months and then are now not going to happen so you've now got to get yourself another six months on so you really needed 18 months actually yeah and that's, so that's, that's, that's good quite different from a consulting business that can work from home that you might need less because there's less outgoings and blah blah but yeah and so i've just seen um a, you know another question here which i'm just gonna kind of twisted a little bit so if i've got my rainy day fund yeah. um my clients are, and then COVID 19 um in its latest incarnation pops along and i've still got some clients coming in so um there's a few of them who i've been able to convert i've been able to work with them online and and if for argument's sake that's enough money to just keep me going it's reduced my overall income should I use that rainy day fund to try and, um, you know, maybe bring those other people on or to invest in, I don't know whether it could be technology, but, you know, other things to bring the remaining clients back on board so that I'm now kind of back at the same income level that I was before? Or should I be keeping that rainy day fund for, for a rainier day? Well, if you, if you know you can spend a pound and you're going to get two pounds, you spend a pound, don't you? Okay. So it, it's going to be all your return on investment. Yeah. Okay. So it's really looking at that particular situation and going, okay, so that's great. Um, just see what other questions have I got here. And let me check the time as well. Okay. So actually, I'm going to ask you a fairly generic question. I'm going to ask everybody who's attending as well to actually answer this in the chat, please. So what do you think will change post-COVID-19? Sam, let's start with you. 
And again, people can post their answers into the chat. It'd be interesting to see what you guys think as well. Um, that's a good question. What will change? I think looking at it from a, um, an employee perspective, I think much what we were talking about earlier, remote working, I think that there will be businesses will be hesitant at the moment in order because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, so they'll be, you know, being careful what they, how they plan ahead. There will be an increase in remote working, whether that's a long term increase. I suspect it will be um, technology that we talked we talked about earlier on. Um, I think we're probably all a bit zoomed out in some ways at the moment, but technology is really important for enabling that remote working to happen. Um, businesses that I never thought I would see um, going down that route are actually really able and capable of implementing those types of solutions to make these types of things work. And I think it will push the realms around flexibility. I think more people will, even if it's not remote working, they will want to work more flexibly. Um, I think it will be some time before schools go back normally. So there will be a continued disruption to normal family life and how we manage um, children being around and other, other commitments that fall into that as well. Um, and I think I mentioned it earlier on, but I do think that there's going to be a big issue around um, people's mental health and well-being. And I think businesses in particular need to pick up the... Um, mantle a little bit on this and put things in place in order to support people uh, some of our clients that we're talking to at the moment we're starting to look at sort of return to work programs so what are we going to do how are we going to manage people coming back to work and high on the list of that is around um, supporting people from a mental health and well-being perspective that's far far broader than just employees I think that's generally um, across across the country um, yeah, that you know we've probably all had some or will have some impact as part of it um, and I think there will be a big move for us to be more flexible, more able to pivot, more digital um, in how we move forward. Um, so they probably be my, my, my initial thoughts from an HR perspective. Thank you very much, Sam. And I can see in the comments um, a comment around um, both around the, the remote working, but also another one, um, fewer business retaining large and costly city center offices. So that need to, or that the perceived need to have an office in the city, which is just eating up money um, and may well diminish. Um, one for myself, which is just, um, I think this is about going back to work and, and you both are gonna laugh because um, it's about Woody. Woody being the dog, for those of you who haven't heard me mention him, no webinar is allowed to complete without a mention of Woody. Um, but I've seen some articles where essentially pets who were actually used to you leaving, and I know the cats want you to leave for the most part, but dogs don't. So those animals are going to potentially find it really stressful when suddenly you're going back out and leaving them just like you used to. And that actually will put an extra stress on to, to us as well, because instead of going, oh, I know I can, you know, happily leave the dog for three hours. Suddenly I'm thinking, well, actually, no, if I turn my back for four and a half seconds, they, you know, he's worried. Um, no way I can go out for two hours. So I think we'll find that people are, are starting to think about some of those other impacts and even potentially, you know, obviously, from my perspective, far less important, but leaving your children. Um, you know, if they're used to having had you around 24 seven, while you might be bursting to, to get away from them, they may not be so keen on it. So um, and I can see another comment here about somebody's pup is going to be devastated when they go back to work. And I, and I think that's going to be a real shock as we've settled into this new normal. 
Um, and now we've got another new normal, which we, we've got to acclimatize to. So what are your thoughts on what's going to change? So I think, I think as small businesses, which I imagine most of you are, we've got an opportunity. These big businesses are like rabbits in the headlights now. They, they are stuck. We've got an opportunity. We can pivot. We can move faster. We can go towards where the work is. So we've got an opportunity to capitalize on that and grow. So that's one. Two, I think tax. I think we're all going to be taxed more. I think some of the places where, say, capital gains tax, dividends, I think we're likely to see something around that. I think if you need to pay tax on something and you've got an opportunity to defer it, you might want to think again. You might want to think about, do I do your rollover relief type thing? You Just speak to an advisor. I think you might want to pay tax now rather than leave it later. Obviously, there's no guarantees in this thing. So, yeah, looking at tax, looking at your salary plans again, maybe looking at child benefit claims, because that might be something you can now do that you might not have done in the past. And equally, it's quite easy to reopen schemes. So that's something you should do and backdate. Um, I also think that we might see women's businesses stronger because actually some of the barriers have been taken away, whereas we can be more flexible. We can work from home now. And actually, we've got less excuse to just not grow so actually it's up to us to take advantage of that and I didn't mean there's a sexist point but just generally you know people with children perhaps or or, or we've got care commitments now we can have businesses that can grow from home rather than having to go to town who wants to go to London on the train I mean it's much better at home so <laughs> I think some real opportunities for the smaller businesses that maybe haven't been shouting how amazing they are to get out there while everyone else is stuck worrying about how can they manage six staff who aren't doing anything? And, and I think there's something in that as well in terms of a lot of people worry about, you know, the child suddenly popping up on your, your you know, important work call. And for me, I've always been quite relaxed. If I'm speaking to somebody and the child, the dog, whatever interrupts that. You have a child. Did I not tell you guys about oh, that? I've not seen oh, one. one. You know, it's just, it's not as important as Woody, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, anybody listening, I do not have a child. <laughs> just in case. Um, but, but now I think there'll also be that acceptance that you can still be somebody knowledgeable. You can still be that expert, even though there's that disruption that's going on in the background, or you might have to turn around and tell somebody to be quiet or, or see them out. So almost... Um, I guess I'm hoping that that flexibility and um, acceptance of that will continue, you know, post COVID-19, post the lockdown, when things do start to open up a little bit more. I think there is one other thing, actually, that we probably all need to bear in mind is until we come out of the situation we're in, and actually we don't know when that's going to be, um, for a lot of businesses, a big challenge will be social distancing. Um, so for physical bricks and mortar businesses in particular, um, and even normal workplaces is that how do we manage that so actually in the shorter term as we come out of lockdown for a lot of companies now they need to be starting to think about how do I accommodate those social, those social distancing requirements in what they're doing um, and I think that will be there for some time to come as well. I, I think you're right about that Sam I think that the social distancing is for a much longer time longer time than, than we potentially hope. Um, I also wonder whether we can really ignore the environmental impact of lockdown. Mm. You know, can we justify going back to the way we were 
when in a really short period of time, we've seen the impact of of not driving into work every day, of not having millions of people commuting. Um, so, you know, how much of that do we we also need to take into account as we look to that future? And, you know, the number of people I've spoken to, one, actually, I think it might have been you, Rebecca, who was complaining about the noise of the birds in my backyard. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> That's it. Um, but suddenly the birds seem louder. Um, the sky is bluer. You know, we can see... Um, views that you know what is, is it in india that they can now see the himalayas for the first time in i don't know how long so, so th there's so much i think that will have to be taken into consideration when we when we're able to actually think about it practically rather than just reacting to to needing to try and control um a, a disease and, and to stop people from from spreading it but it's great because it, it means no hugging no handshaking Amazing to me. Which is all bad. That's all really good stuff for you. <laughs> therapy. Hug therapy is great. See, see, Rebecca is missing out. Rebecca is, as you might have just gathered, somebody who prefers not to do the handshaking or the hugging. <laughs> Sam and I insist on hugging her. She's really happy because one, the dog isn't visiting her. <laughs> Two, <laughs> she can't see us, so we can't go and hug her. <laughs> No, you know we're saving it all up, though, don't you? No, you can't. You can't even touch me again. It's fine. <laughs> That's so wrong. <laughs> That's not very wrong. Um, I'm not okay. It's an introvert's dream. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, so I'm just checking and I think I've gone through the questions we've had. If anybody's got any last or final questions, just pop it into the chat now. Um, but in the meantime, I will, Rebecca, any last bits of advice for anybody who is thinking about the future, who, who's trying to make decisions to, to look beyond, you know, today, next week, next month? I think blank piece of paper probably Sharpies. What do you want? What's your dreams? And any decisions better than no decision? And I'll just add to that in that a decision or a plan is not something that is set in stone. No, absolutely it's something that is based on what you know and what you think now. And there's nothing wrong whatsoever with adjusting that plan, either based on, on how you feel at a future point or when circumstances shift around you. So it's not just because you got your beautiful Sharpie and lovely colors and you wrote down something. That yeah, that is a very big part of it. Make sure you get nice paper as well. Like to go for some, you know, sort of thick paper or sounds going, oh God, I've got to go now. Have I wandered off topic? <laughs> Um, but but once it's written down, it doesn't have to stay there. It's just something that you focus on at this point in time, and you can keep reassessing it um, as as things move. Planning is a decision making tool. It's not a where I'm going. It's not I'm going to go to Australia next year. That it's not that kind of thing. It's it's the decision making process that you're going through to make come to that conclusion. It's not the end point. And I think especially with cash flow planning, especially that's what people misunderstand. It that cash flow is never going to happen. Not chance. It's it's about making a decision. Can I afford it or can't I afford it? Excellent advice, Rebecca. I'm thinking, damn, I'm gonna have to speak to her again. <laughs> <laughs>
maybe I've got some of those decisions wrong. <laughs> um, and Sam, any last words from you as well? No, I think not. I think I think today's been really interesting, actually, trying to think about sort of where, where we go next. And I think actually, kind of probably picking up on a point Rebecca said earlier on, actually now is a really exciting time. I know it's unsettled and I know it's uncertain for a lot of businesses, um, but the ones that actually have done a bit of planning or start to do a bit of planning and start forward thinking will be the ones that come through it. It might be bumpy and it might hurt for a bit, absolutely. Um, but if you can if you can come out of this, you'll probably survive most things. So it's really time to think about how you grow your business beyond. I think it's not just about entrenching and how do I get through it, how do I get through it and, and, and how do I come out the other side, genuinely come out the other side to something bigger and better? And businesses will do. I know it does look quite bleak, but businesses will do. Yeah, that's really great, Tam. Thank you. And I think, Rebecca, I'm pretty sure this is something that you sent to me, maybe. Um, crisis? Is okay. it? Yeah, so in Chinese, the characters, there's two characters, and one means threat and the other means opportunity. Is that right? Something along those lines, yes. Yeah. If and I. Complete mistranslation, I think you're fine, but it, it works. But it works. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, and that really, I guess, spoke to me because I thought it's so true. It is on one side, there's the threat of, you know, I can't go out. I don't know if I'm going to have business coming in. I don't know if I can pay my bills. And on the other side is, well, what are the opportunities in this? And the more we can do to try and, you know, seize those opportunities and to move forward and to keep thinking towards yep. the future, uh, you know, the better off we're all going to be. Yep. So. yep. And Thank just you. Bear in mind, there's always fruit picking jobs out there. There are fruit picking jobs on the go at the moment. So if anyone needs any, loads but it's skilled work. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't I'm too old. My back hurts. <laughs> well, it depends. See, I, I might be able to do low level fruit picking. Depending <laughs> on the height of the tree, I could get some. <laughs> it's like I can only paint half a room. <laughs> Um, anyway Rebecca and Sam thank you so much for joining it's um, always great to talk to you and to get your perspective and ideas and to everybody else thank you very much if you want to get in touch with Rebecca Samurai I will send out um, sorry that sounded like Samurai that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Sam or I I'm um, I was Samurai it would be <laughs> And I promise none of us have been, well, as far as I'm aware, none of us have been drinking. <laughs> Too early. Too early. Um, if you want to get in touch, I will be dropping you an email with contact details so you can reach out to any of us. Um, and, and you've already got my contact details. So thank you all very much. And I will keep you posted on what next week's Tuesday 1515 will be all about. Take care and have a great evening and a great week. Thank you very much for joining us with this week's episode of Bridging Gaps, the business podcast. If you would like to get in touch with Sam Gold, you can reach her at sam at goldhr.co.uk. And Rebecca can be reached at rebecca at switchfootaccounting.com. 
www.deborah.co.uk. I can be reached at deborah.levitt at bridgeroadconsultants.com. Next week, Sam is joining me once again as we talk about staying mentally healthy. We'll also be joined by Geraldine Joachim. Both she and Sam are really interested and I guess concerned about making sure that we don't forget about the need to stay mentally healthy and the different requirements that we might now need to take into account during the coronavirus pandemic. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, why not sign up for my podcast challenge? You can find details of it on podcastconcierge.com. You've been listening to Deborah Levitt on Bridging Gaps, the business podcast.